This is weird shit my mom says. Episode 35. I'm Jules. I'm Cece. I'm the duck. And I'm looking at Jules right now because when she was singing, she made her face really long like the like the guy in the scream mask. <laughs> she does. When she does like weird things. That's the that's the face I like when she was singing the Lizzie Borden song last time, she you was totally knew? making that face, I'm quite sure. Do you, we don't need to do that again. We're in part two. Like, we're going to jump right into this. Like, we don't need to do a lot of chit-chat, folks. Yeah, but let's get into this shit. It's weird shit my mom says, and today, my dad says, right? We got the doc here back with us again. So, hopefully, if you are just joining us for part two, don't, okay? Just go back and listen to part one first. Because otherwise, yeah. nothing's going to make sense. We left off talking about the Victorian era. We're at the end of the Victorian era. Um, the year is 1892. We're talking about the Lizzie Borden murder cases. The folks that died here were her father, Andrew Jackson Borden, and her stepmother, Abby Durfee. Durfee Gray, uh, Abby Durfee Gray Borden, prominent members of society, which makes them kind of a, a big deal, ended up being the trial of the century, kind of like, it's been called kind of like the O.J. Simpson trial of the 1800s. Yeah. So that kind of puts you in that right frame of mind. Uh, we have the doc here with us. Uh, we talked about all of his credentials last time about why he might be interested in, in talking to us about this. I'm going to jump right in to some stuff here. I'm going to jump into how the bodies were found. I'm going to talk about, we talked about last time, the setup of the house. As a refresher, the house is a big square. Not a big square, more like a big rectangle, right? House is a big rectangle, big block, if you will. First floor, second floor, there's a staircase at the front of the house. There's a staircase at the back of the house. From the front of the house, if you're looking at it, remember all of those rooms are very closed off to each other. The very front foyer is, is very closed off from the rest of the house. From the foyer, you can walk into the parlor. The next set of rooms from there would be the sitting room where Andrew Borden was found deceased and right next door to that is the dining room and then the next room beyond that that you would walk into would be the kitchen and then also that back staircase and the sink room right the sink where we have the running water so I'm going to talk a little bit here about where bodies were found Andrew Borden was found in the sitting room, right? So if one were walking into the home from the front, you would walk into the front entryway. You would go through the doors that are straight ahead and then into the sitting room. The sitting room had a settee, settee sofa thing that was right up near the doorway into the dining room. And on that, Andrew was found dead laying on that sofa or settee and his wife which would be Lizzie Borden's stepmother was found in the guest bedroom 
the way to get to the guest bedroom would be if a person were to go into the front entryway or foyer, go up the big grand staircase, and at the top of the staircase, there is a landing, and then straight ahead, directly in front of the staircase, is the guest bedroom. She was found on the floor behind the bed, between the bed and the bureau. So there is a space on the floor. If I'm looking at pictures, I would guess it's probably about a four to four and a half foot space. That's my guess. At this point, I am going to turn it over to the doc. He has, we are going to go back to, um, we don't want to skew him too much right now with giving him details of that morning of the family or what happened. We want to talk to him because he doesn't know those details yet. We just want to talk to him about what the crime scene is saying to him, what he's seeing there, and what he's seeing in the pictures. So that is why I'm giving you that information about where they were when they died. And then after he is done, we will go back and we'll talk about how did those bodies get to that point. So at this point, I'm going to turn it over to the doc. All right, cool. So... um as Jules said, I, and, and one of the things I was really particular about coming into this was that my I didn't know very much about the case. I didn't want to know anything about the case, um, as minimal as I could. What I did was is I downloaded um, some of the photographs. And a note on the photographs right off the bat is um, there is a variety of them that uh, it's quite obvious the scene has been changed furniture has been moved and the pictures are, are of really 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 poor quality of course this is what 1892 i think is what we said to kind of analyze this a little bit i i downloaded what i could find um as far as the autopsies um of these two individuals now before i even get into that today everybody watches csi Everybody wants to have a little bit of DNA. Everybody wants to have, you know, video recorded. They, they want that really hardcore evidence. So let me kind of set the stage because in 1892, concepts such as DNA didn't exist. That wasn't, DNA wasn't discovered until 1950s, right? Blood typing of blood was, you know, still eight years away. Um, even our blood types hadn't been discovered yet. So for just a moment, I want to turn the clock back to 1829, and I'm just going to kind of talk about law enforcement in general for a second, because what we think of cops today isn't what cops were back then. Uh, we didn't have uniformed patrolmen like like what you think. You know, we all see the the cops out there. That that wasn't. I mean, the, the beginning of it started um, in the 1800s in England. You know, here in the United States, um, we did not have what we would consider to be a modernized police department until um, shortly after World War I and, and following the Great Depression, where we saw the uniforms, where we saw assigned patrol beats and, and things of that nature. Um, in 1910, so, you know, 20 years, roughly, 18 years after the Borden murders, um, in 1910, the, the concept of trace evidence was first introduced, and that came out of France. And, and we call that low cards exchange. Um, 
And so what is what is tra what is trace evidence? Trace is something that you that's not easily discernible or recognizable by the naked eye. Um, so a a dog hair on a person would be trace evidence. Okay, and I'm I'm talking like today, like DNA. A uh, uh, like a semen. They weren't semen. looking for dog hairs back then. Fingerprints, you know. And a matter of fact, fingerprints. Um, wasn't the the very first time um, identifying somebody by the use of fingerprints didn't happen until 1902. Okay, so 10 years after the Borton case. So you guys see what I'm trying to say here is that what you think or we think of, of law enforcement today did not exist in 1892. It, it just wasn't there. So, yeah, you know, and law enforcement wasn't a... Um, I was reading... like So would they have been... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Okay, go ahead. Okay, I was reading that... Um, in this area in particular, because it was so heavy with um, Irish immigrants, that actually the Irish were a lot of times the police force and people didn't respect them because there was... They were immigrants. They were immigrants and there was a lot of discrimination that went against the, the Irish um, at this time, including the treatment of Bridget, their maid, and we'll get into that a little bit after this, but like... So that's just like a side note on that too. Is like people weren't really taking them seriously, but and, how and, organized were they? And they weren't. So, um, go ahead, Cece. Would they have been trained in any way on like murder investigations? Really, like they probably didn't have a lot of training. I would guess, right? No. They're probably just dudes that were thrown in to so, a role. And and here's another thing: they they wouldn't have. You know, t in in today's age, somebody wants to be a cop, they got to go to a basic academy that's usually about six months long, right? Where they learn the very basics of everything. Back then, it wasn't that way. Um, as a matter of fact, um, your heads of of agencies, so your police chief or your sheriff, whatever the case may be, not so much the sheriff, but your your police departments, your constabularies, those were appointed positions. They were very political. Um, but the people that worked there, it was a second rate job, um, rife with corruption. Um, part of that being because they didn't understand, uh, you know, what we do today as to what a police department should be or, or what an office supposed to be. You didn't have all that back then. Um, you know, and, and, and to be quite honest also, I mean, uh, the say let's take the use of a, of a gun, for, for instance. You know, the, the guns weren't issued out to law enforcement officers until the 1900s, right? So a lot of times they, if they had one, they, they were carrying their own weapon. You get the idea. Yeah. Um, they didn't have a uniform either. They, right? No, like, they didn't. Like Wild West, it was like you just get like a, like a star pinned to you. Matter of fact, uh, well, in the 1850, so 1858, 30, 40 years before the, um, the Borden case, uh, the two organizations in the United States that, that were the first to issue um, uniforms to their officers was Boston and Chicago. It's close by, but by far and large, no, they had no, they had no uniforms. They had no firearms. They were just. All right, so, and one more thing I'm going to do to set the stage. Um, oh, did you hear that creepy thunder? Yeah, let me, let me that, yeah. That's fine. Ooh. <laughs> Is um, thunder in there? Yeah. Yeah, we got a good storm rolling in, so hopefully we don't lose. Weird. 
snowy. anything. But um, so uh, I was talking about Locard, right? Edmund Locard, 1910. Um, and he was a French um, trace evidence guy. He actually kind of set the stage. And what we call Locard's exchange is this. The guy's name is Locard. His name is Edmund Locard. Like he's a low He's a Locard. When I was talking about this to Jules yesterday, she says, what's a low card? Is it like not a high card? And I'm like, I I got you. I was like thinking it was a thing and not a dude. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And then I was like, that's weird. Okay. It took, um, it took 22 more years for the United States to develop its first crime lab, uh, which would have been in 1932. Wait, so what's low cards exchange? Low cards exchange says that whenever you go into an environment, you're picking up evidence from that environment and taking it with you, and you're laying evidence down when you leave. Um, like now, the criminal is the criminal. Anybody actually, but the oh, but anybody, like the people, anybody that walks into a crime scene. Yeah. So let, let let let's go back to today for just a second. We're all familiar with DNA. So you, you you go to a crime scene. Let's say you're a perpetrator. You go to a crime scene. You're shedding skin cells, right? Today's technology will actually allow us to be able to get a profile read of DNA out of skin cells that are dropped on the floor. That's how detailed that we may be looking, um, not for every case, but maybe in a murder. Uh, something called touch DNA we can do now. This mm-hmm. is part of low cards yeah. also. So if somebody leaves a fingerprint behind, we can take DNA out of that, that fingerprint. That's so crazy. It, it, Guys, me. exfoliate before you murder. Okay. Right, green, green scratch pad and a razor will go a long way, right? On the stone to the finger. Okay. Right. Okay, so in other words, anything that you think that you know about policing and detective work and CSI and Joe Kendra and all this other stuff that you watch on TV, none of that existed Wait, back then. Lieutenant Joe Kendra, the homicide hunter. Don't get me going on him. Um, okay. Yeah, he don't. Um, the first 48, all of that. None of that existed back then. So what we have, um, and I'm going to start with Andrew first. And he he's laying um, on a couch. He's supine. He, he's face up. He's laying on a couch. That's what supine means? Yeah. Okay. Is it like a pork? It's not like a porcupine. No, because it's got pork in it, you pine. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So unless you're part pig. You he's can't be. Supine. He's supine. He's face up. He's okay. face up. All right. He's laying on a couch um, and his feet are kicked off. And I accidentally overheard Jules the other day talking about maybe somebody put shoes on him. And I wish I hadn't have heard that. Well, but I'm sorry. That just goes to show the crime scene molestation, right? There's a lot of crime scene molestation. His face oh. is turned so that the left side of his head is... Um, more accessible, right? So he's not looking straight up in his final position of rest, at least according yeah. to these photographs. So I kind of translated the photographs uh, with the autopsy report. And what I see are a bunch of um, chop wounds that um, I find are very interesting. On his face, um, almost all of the wounds are about four and a half inches in length. Um, What does that tell you? And I'm getting to that. I'm getting to that. And the way that the chops are placed on the face, so that on the kind of the left side, like they go through the eye, 
um, in layman's term, they go to the, you know, the side of the nose down into the jaw, um, the cheekbones, and then on the left side of the head, um, about the ear area, um, there are several more chop wounds, but the angle of the wounds are very interesting. What they suggest to me is if somebody were standing at his head, so if you have an opportunity to look at the picture, he's laying on this couch. Somebody walks up, well, he's got his head on, a, on maybe a pillow or something at one end of the couch, okay? And there's an opportunity for somebody to walk up to that end of the couch and then swing um, an instrument. And with the way that the wounds are placed, it indicates to me that a person that did this is right-handed um, and delivered all of these, these chops. The, the other victim, which was upstairs, what was her name? Abby. Abby. All right. She has um, some interesting things going on with her. First of all, now she's prone. She's face down and she's laying on a rug. Now, she's and a very short woman. She's heavy, too. She's about 200 pounds, and I think she's just a little bit over five feet tall. So, okay. now... It leads me to believe, looking at the pictures, that she has, uh, she was in the room, you know, like when somebody walks into the room, their back is to the door, okay? Now, yeah. so she's laying down, her feet are towards the door, and her head is pointed away from the door um, to a wall. She's kind of between a dresser and a bed. And just a note to the readers, I found some pictures where the bed is missing, <laughs> and she's, photo maybe they moved the bed to the side. They did. Um, they did? I did. I did find um, in some of the testimony that was done, um, some of the testimony that was in court, they did talk about how a particular um, officer did remove the bed or moved the bed so that they could get better pictures, pictures of her. Correct. Cool. And people also really fucked with the crime scene. Well. For really funny reasons. And but. I'll let you talk about uh, I I just... That blows my mind to move something. Um, in the in the in the industry, we call it in situ. We want everything to be as it was situated when we found it. We don't molest it. We don't change it. We don't do anything, right? For the very reasons that I'm about to talk about. Her wounds are almost exclusively to the back of the head, um, but here's what's interesting with her: she has six wounds on her head that are two to three inches in length. Two to three? Mm-hmm. She has six oh. wounds that are one and a half inches. What? She has one wound, which is a half an inch. She has two wounds that are five inches, one that's an inch, one that's three and a half inches, one that's four and a half inches, and one that's a quarter inch. And I'm going to talk about that for just a moment. So looking at how the wounds are placed on the head... Um, and she has one on, on the side of her head, the lateral aspect also. But it's clear to me that she was struck from behind and pitched forward. Now, the human body does never, it never moves in straight and linear movements, right? If you need any explanation of that, stand up and just try to shake your arms out, swing your arms, okay? And, and they go in a circle or something that's close to a circle, right? Um, kids, when they try to write, on straight lines, they don't. They drift toward the end of their sentence. Me too, man. <laughs> you try to draw yeah, something. Yeah, right. So the, the human body is all about circles. So if you were to swing, all right, um, 
and and what you're doing is you're creating an arc um, at some point in time. And we, going back to Andrew for a minute, um, that swing and the placement of those of those um, injuries on the front of his face, one tells me that the person was standing above him at the time that it happened, okay. and two, it tells me the person was right-handed um, based on on the angle, on the angle, right? And then on on Abby, right? Yep. On Abby, um, she's hit and she falls down, and. Before I talk too much more about the injuries there, I just want to say this. The the her her prone position, there is a tremendous amount of blood that is leaking from her head into the carpet and this is consistent with everything that I would expect to see as a final position of rest. Okay. Also, I don't see if she was struck in the back of the head, I don't see any blood staining the back of her clothing. All right? And that's oh. very important. Because blood falls because of gravity, right? right? Yeah. So there's none on her back. Um, and, and if there is, it's just not visible in the photograph. So did she get, she didn't get, it's all in the head? It's not in her back? <sighs> yes. She, <clears throat> and here's another interesting thing about her, is she's got several bruises on the front of her face. One on the bridge of her nose and a couple of them um, right well, we would call the frontal boss area, the, the area above the eyebrows, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is consistent with falling face forward. Oh, like she like she just did face plant. Like she, she took a pitch forward, right? Um, now, talking about wet work for a minute, blood now, killing. When she did the pitch forward because of, because of the bruising that was on there, would you say that that was post-mortem or peri? It could be anti or peri. And anti means before death, peri means at the time of death. I I, I, I don't have the pleasure of being able to examine the flesh to be able to tell you if right. there's any, you know, t- attempt Just to remodel. Just the way you said that was very creepy. The pleasure. Ugh. Okay. Yeah, that was creepy. <laughs> well. That was, that made you sound like a creeper. That's why we call him Dexter. Okay. So. Yeah. The question, I guess, that I'm trying to answer is that was she dead immediately upon no. the first impact? Oh, on the... probably not if she had those other injuries to her face, right? Like, because well, she was no. still able to. No. We're talking about bruising. Okay. Contusions. And that you don't know. Contusions are, are, are an internal bleeding, right? Okay. Echomosis is the other term for it. it. It's an internal bleeding event or some type of trauma has occurred to the tissue. In order for the contusion to spread, typically speaking, there needs to be blood pressure. Right. She has to be alive. Still. However, she was also face down. So the blood was pooling. The blood could face. pool in there. All right. Or both. Okay. Or both. Lividity. <laughs> Gross. Yes. Okay. I, I'm looking on my new iPhone and somehow when you just when, did like he just did like the fancy new iPhone editing to a dead body. And yeah, her like body like fog. cut <gasps> out of the picture. That is so gross. Oh, <gasps> that's so creepy. That is weird. I, I didn't know that I Abby's could do that. Spirit is in his iPhone. Oh god. How do I cancel that? I, I, don't, I don't know. Okay. So anyway. Ghost you? 
Yes, like her ghost just moved. It and and when when Aww. I moved their picture accidentally, um, Apple decides to trace her profile in um, like a white light that was yeah, chasing was around like a in white a circle. Light that was like going Whoa. around, and then her body was like lifting off the picture. It was yeah, so creepy. What the? F- That's fucking Whoa. scary. Well, it's a new you thing. You should try to you record your stickers. phone doing that again later. Maybe you should anyway. Like okay, screen record it now. Um, fluid uh, for just a moment and most of what I'm about to say is a matter of physics here um, in, a, in, in a normal person we're you know we're walking around all of our blood and everything is is contained inside of us we would hope we would hope the first strike draws the blood to the surface typically speaking right um, and I, I'm going to talk about a non-edged weapon for a second I you know I punch somebody really hard in the face right um, chances are there's not going to be any blood transferred because the, I, I haven't done anything to bring the blood out of the body yet. Okay. The second hit, there's going to be blood transfer. Now, when we talk about blood, we're actually talking about you've, you've got different types of velocities. You have something, you know, high velocity that, that you would expect to see, say, with a, with a gunshot wound where the blood is atomized. It's very thin, um, it's very, the droplets are very fine. We'll see that in, um, agonal respiration. Sometimes when somebody's oh, dying, yeah. they'll breathe out and, and, it, and it's atomized. The, the fine mist. Yeah. Okay. And we got medium and low velocity. Um, and medium is something that you, you would probably see if say I were to hit somebody in the head with a baseball bat, All right? It, there's not so much energy to atomize it as efficiently as say, a high-powered rifle round would do, but it's not just drop. And then you got low velocity. Um, And low velocity, if you've ever seen somebody at a bar fight and they've gotten punched in the face and and they're, you know, just venal bleeding, nothing under pressure. We're not talking about arterial arterial spray. This is like a slow drunk (laughs) It's just, yeah, Yeah. and and it just like drains down. So in in the case of, of Abby, it is possible and again, I'm just I'm just working off of, of old, really poor quality photographs here. It is possible she was struck one time from the rear, and that was enough to catch her to pitch forward. Now, before everybody's oh well, she got knocked out. No, we don't know that. Okay, but what we know is she pitched forward at some point in time. Her final position of rest shows us that. Mm-hmm. And then somebody was standing over top of her, and they were chopping yet again. Right? As she was on the ground. As she's on the ground. Chopping or stabbing. It's hard to say at this particular moment. And I can say that pretty concretely because if she had been standing still, her back would show lots of streakage and staining from the blood following its gravitational flow. That makes sense? Yep. None of which she has. If you look, the blood is all pulled straight down from her face, right? We don't see Uh it on her shoulders. We don't see it on her arms. We don't see it on her back. Does that make sense? Right. Okay. Yeah. Um. And the same thing, I'm going to go back to Andrew for a minute. He's laying. Um, you can see that there's staining on the couch. It looks like some that that's you Dig know on the carpet. down on the carpet and and whatever he's laying on. I think it's a pillow there, a maybe little... a suit coat behind it. Yeah, and it's a suit coat under his head, rolled up, and then he's got like a little white coverlet pillow underneath his head. Now, what is what is glaringly absent for me? And once again, I'm going off photographs, is that there is no real transfer of blood um, 
cast off blood. Okay. Is it possible? So, the couch is right up against the door frame of mm. the door that is closed. The door. It's leads like weirdly into... against the door frame too. I don't it's, like that it's overlapping right. it's the really border around the against... door. It's very strange. Right, right, right. But that leads that door leads into the dining room. That's right next to it. Is it possible that somebody was standing with, you know, part of their body outside of, or like part of their body in the dining room, part of it out of the dining room, and whacking his head from above this direction instead of standing next to him? Nobody was standing next to him. They were standing at his head. They were standing at his head doing it? No doubt in my mind they were standing at the head when they did this. Okay. Now... Is it possible they were standing in the dining room? Sure. What's this other door go to? That goes. That other door goes to the front entryway. And that's why I spent so much time talking about the layout of the house. All right. They could have been at either door. All right. But look at these doors. All right. There, there's no... There's no cast-off. No cast-offs. Where the cast-off's going to be, and, and the detectives that were taking these photo shots or the coroner or whoever this might have been back at that time, probably didn't know the importance of interpreting cast off it's on the ceiling and these are white doors like brilliant white painted doors it does look like there is is there something on the door or that could be an artifact of the picture or it could just be a ding in the door um i mean oh it looks like there might be something it 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 looks like there might be something on the on the photo let me let me go to the the one with here painting that's on the wall See see how you got the the same types of Oh yeah. There's okay, so in the picture too. Yeah, they're old-timey pictures. Um so the the cast-off's going to be on the ceiling. All right? Because remember, we're we're talking about a circle, down the arc and then up. And where's it going to go? It's going to go over here where the, where this dude's standing, right? Like above his head. And and we should see it probably start somewhere in this area. Okay. And then it's going to go up on the ceiling. So that that's not at by any means, um, the absence of the blood in these photographs is not weird, for lack of better words. I, I, I guess I would expect that. Um, on the weapons. So there was a, a hatchet that was supposedly found in the basement. They call it the handleless hatchet, and I'm looking at it. And... Um, there's probably, based on the time period, there's probably going to be more hatchets or axes in the house for, you know, when they got to go chop some wood or whatever the case may be. I'm, I'm just making an assumption here. Four and a half inches is consistent with the leading edge of an axe. And I personally feel that it would be difficult to inflict these wounds with a hatchet that does not have a handle. Not impossible, but improbable. And here's the reason why. Blood uh, and wet tissue will create a suction. So when you have, a, say, an axe or a knife that you know, is, is, is um, entered into the body, and you try to retrieve it, the, the fluid is going to create a suction. And we know this if you do dishes. Right, and you put a cup inside of another cup, and there's a little bit of water in the bottom. And the yeah. two cups get stuck together. I'm never right? going to think of dishes the same way ever again. <laughs> okay, it's true. Um, so, in 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 instruments that are made to cut, all right, uh, such as a scalpel, a surgical scalpel, it's very mm-hmm. small for I a reason. It. In um, 
you know, a, a, a hunter will have a knife and there'll be a groove in the knife. It's called a blood groove, right? And that groove is to release that, that suction so that the mm -hmm. knife can be taken back out easily. A hatchet is is perfect for for getting sucked into the into the um into the material and there the point is a notch cut out on it but it's not like in the way that a knife would have that groove and that's 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 probably for pulling a nail to be honest with you probably yeah yeah um so what i'm trying to say here is more probable than not is that whoever was swinging this had to exert a holy shit ton of strength to get that hatchet back out of the skull if that makes sense mm -hmm. okay now go so andrew he had all of these four and a half inch um injuries uh mostly to the front of his face and then laterally on the left temporal area and what was interesting on both andrew and abby is that there's one transverse uh injury so let me explain the difference if you're looking at a human being standing, okay, and, you know, normal standing, nothing weird, most of the injuries that you would look at would on the, on the face are going to go from the center line of the face, so, you know, the nose, forehead, um, between the two teeth, right? They're going to be just a little bit to the left of that, and then they're going to be angled down, all right? A transverse um, injury is one that is perpendicular so if you go from ear to ear or eye to eye mm -hmm. that's transverse and he had one transverse injury on his forehead and so did abby and she had one transverse injury on the rear of her head which tells me that there was a change in direction of the blows oh that justifies this handleless axe more so than anything else okay so they were never able to find anything? Well, I'm not done. Okay. I'm not done. We're going to return to Abby. She only has one four and a half injury on her. She has one five, or she has two five inch injuries on her. But the vast majority of them are one and a half inches and then two to three inches. I'm looking at this handleless axe that, that um, I took off of the um, Borden House Museum's website or whatever. And I'm looking at the rear of it, and it appears to be a hexagonal hammer that's on the other side of it. If this had been a blade, I would be much more comfortable saying that this was the murder weapon. Because all you have to do was flip the axe the other way so that the four and a half inch is pointing to the sky oh. and striking with this oh, end. But that's not. Hammer end. But that's a hammer. And that would have left like a puncture, like a. And these like are. Hammer wound, not. And, and the, and the term like the medical examiner rather. used was incision, okay? Not blunt force. Can I, can I ask a question about that? Yeah. Let's say that, okay, Lizzie was, I believe that, okay, so she, she took some stuff and they were referring to her as being about 120 pounds. So not sure if that's quite what it was and i believe she was about five foot four she little thing possibly so a lot of women were smaller back then um but let's just say for these purposes let's say that she's five foot four and 120 to 140 pounds somewhere in there right so let's say she's running out of of 
um, energy there because you're saying that this if it, the suction suction was happening. Mm-hmm. So this blade on this is about that the four and a half inches, right? It's consistent. So yeah. let's say that she wasn't having as much strength, but she was still hitting her with it, but it was only nicking with the corner of the blade. Wouldn't that then leave those smaller and varied cuts? Like, you know, if she's if she's hitting her with it and it's kind of wild and crazy, it's look not at, like look she's at the a professional there. hatchet wielder. That's strength. So what I'm what we're looking at right now is the right side of Lizzie's skull. Um, the Fall River Historical Society provides pictures of both of the skulls and and the pretty much the, the the temporal, the parietal, uh, part of the occipital is People don't all know what that means. Uh, gone. Those somebody's going to know bones. Almost the whole right side of the head is gone. Right. Um, it just as means we're looking the front at it. Backside. But I, I do want to make a comment. Both of them had a superficial scalp wound. All right. Um, Andrew had one on the front of his face, and Abby had one um, towards the top of her head. Uh, the angle was down. Um, it was glancing, Didn't her um, but braid it did get not penetrate. Off? I think that happened later. I think her braid got cut off, and I wasn't sure if it happened like on purpose and that they kept it. Like for museum purposes, or if it was actually cut off, and then Andrew's nose was cut off, and his eyeball was, was cut in, in half. half. I saw that in the ME's report. But there's all these. Is it possible? It's possible. I I, I can't tell looking from the pictures if some Does of these I mean, are glancing wounds or not. There was on one of them here. You see these these cracks right here. This is they Andrew. Look like slight. Cl- Slater cracks on the skull. But I would I would actually need to see those under temple. magnification to be able to tell. You can't tell from a picture. It also looks like they could have been cutting and doing a bisection. Um now let's just say for a moment here. Okay, so there's there's two possibilities that I see. One is that there was definitely a, a four and a half inch consistent with an axe mm-hmm. weapon used against Andrew. It may be that there was also one used on Abby, or it could be a combination of different weapons. could okay. be a knife. It could be, as you said, she was getting tired, or the perpetrator was getting tired. Because she did 19, like, whoever it is that killed Abby did 19 blows. So that's where we're talking about, remember the doggerel, where they, they exaggerate and they say... 41. 40 wax kind of thing. So well, There's one more thing I want to say here is that um, killing something with a blunt Im- uh, instrument, which I consider an axe to be more along the lines of a blunt force instrument than I do an incising so instrument. So not an axe, a hatchet. Because an, like an axe would be a completely different weapon. It would be a larger blade, a much, much longer um, handle to it, giving them more uh, force. So, okay, hatchet then. And allow me to explain why I feel it's more of a blunt force in, uh, instrument than it is a, a um, cutting or a bladed instrument is because of the force that it's used, you know, to penetrate into the body, mm-hmm. right? A knife is a pretty easy thing to cut with. An axe is not, doesn't have that razor edge on the end of it, right? Yeah. So the point of that is saying that this is massive amount of trauma. All right. Now, the body, when it begins to um, experience trauma 
to an injury, its natural uh, response is to nutrient saturate the area to start the healing process. Um, it's going to pull the blood from the extremities and it's going to, you know, centralize it in the chest and at the area of the injury. In this case, uh, we're talking about the head. So what I'm trying to tell you here is that there's going to be a massive amount of blood being sent there to okay. try to begin the repairing process. And yet we have continued injuries, hit, hit, stab, stab, whatever they are. Whoever did this is going to be a bloody mess. That's what we need to know. Yeah. And when we say there's going to be a mess. lot of transfer, they're going to be where? soaked. Where on their person. Okay. Now look, let's talk about, let's talk about the circle, the arc again, right? Mm -hmm. So as you're casting off, the blood's going to go up, right? And then as you do this again, uh, and so what I'm doing, guys, is I, I'm doing a, a choppy movement up over my shoulder, right? And then as uh -huh. you begin to come forward, the motion of going forward is going to lead particles to come down. On their back. On their back, on their shoulders, on their shoulders. in their hair. All right. That's Plus, what I need to know. whoever was killing Abby was standing over Abby or kneeling over Abby. Okay. Okay. So you're going to have blood transfer. Whoever killed Andrew is standing behind Andrew's head. Right and doing the same thing again, there at some point, I would expect to see that individual look like the girl from Carrie, just covered in blood. Here's the here's the issue with all of this, and as we get into the story and what supposedly happened or whatnot. So, I mean, we're talking about a Dexter kill room here, and if you haven't seen that show. Like, it's almost as if somebody, like, set up a plastic sheet kill room around this person. And there's no, like, there's no bloody footprints that go throughout the house. There's no trailing. There's no, it's not like there's you, any on the walls that they You may found. not see bloody footprints. All right. Because the person isn't standing directly you remember the picture of Abby? She had all the blood was pulling under her head, right? Mm -hmm. You saw the picture of Andrew, and he the couch is, is taking the majority of you know his discharge there. You may not see it on their shoes. And remember, too, blood has to follow gravity, mm -hmm. right? And number three, it's getting soaked into clothing. And now they would also assume that if this was a female doing this, like, everyone's like, oh, you know, she's a lady. She must have had her dress on. What if she wasn't? Well, what if she went in to this? Naked. Like, naked. Or, you know, it was like, I can't get things on my dress. Or she stole some of her dad's pants or something. Right. Or she covered so, her hair. Because that's why I talked about the hygiene in this on how often women do their hair. Lizzie's hair wasn't disturbed. It took women a lot of time to put their hair right every day. And that's why I and asked you how long it took you to get in and out of that exactly. that get up. Yes. Look, let me um let me say this. Today uh it, versus, you know, 100 and some years ago. Today we recognize the fact that women have the capacity for violence. Right. All right. In yesteryear 
that was a really hard thing to wrap your mind around because mothers were supposed to, uh, mothers, women were supposed to be motherly, nurture, caring, compassionate, right? That That's kind of like the social view of it all. Right. Um, however, and, you know, I, I've stayed away from this case so that you can maybe answer this later. From the time that the murder supposedly happened to the time that somebody saw Lizzie, didn't you say there was a, a nanny, an Irish nanny in the house? Uh, maid. Maid. Or Bridget. maybe it was the sea captain that nobody wants to talk about, right? <laughs> I will tell you. I will give you guys the whole lineup, of the cast of characters. But. Um, you know, as we go into this, but. You're, you're, you're going to have transfer. Cops, didn't, cops wouldn't know back then to look for blood under fingernails. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, somebody did make a comment about Lizzie's hands while she was distraught afterwards. Um, you know, that will come in. But somebody actually made a comment about how beautiful her hands look. Like she's got these nice pink manicured fingers. And like, you know, in these moments of stress, it's it's hard to say the weird well, things that people focus on. And that just happened to be one of the things that they focused so on. So let me, let me drill this down. how beautiful her hands were. From the time that the that supposedly murder happened to the time that, based on your research, how long between discovery, reported discovery, and somebody interacting with these people in the house, how long are we talking Okay, Andrew got home roughly 10.45 a.m. He was found by Lizzie. Is that verified? Yeah. Okay. Yes. We're talking about roughly a 15-minute window. Could have happened between the time of Andrew dying and Lizzie screaming that she found him. Okay. 15 minutes. Like 15 minutes, probably less than 15 minutes. So she would have had to, like, let's say she wasn't wearing those clothes. She would have had to get all her garb on and maybe scrub the shit out of her fingers, get all the blood hidden. Did they search the house? They Were there did. any bloody clothes in the house? I will get into that. I will get into that in a little bit. What we need to know from you as we're talking about this is... This size of a woman, she is not athletically trained. I know that women are capable of all sorts of things that men are capable of. Especially obviously. if you're real angry. Yeah, especially, oh yeah, if you're real angry. But let's take a couple of things into consideration. Okay, I can understand if she was real angry at, at stepmom. We're going to talk about this. Like, you always say there has to be means, motive, opportunity, right? Yep. So let's talk about anger level. Anger level could be there, right? I don't know. I and, mean, it could be. But. Yeah, let's just say could be, right? I've heard theories that there could be. Okay. So there's a 90-minute window. If you read these things, it's basically saying that due to, like, the coagulation of the blood on Abby and the contents of the stomach, which is what they went off of um, when it came to digestion periods, which we know are altered just depending on the size of a person, how they metabolize, all that other stuff. But let's talk about everybody came to this conclusion that they were probably killed about 90 minutes apart. So you're talking about an, an intense anger that has to happen, right? For a tiny woman, at, or if Lizzie was that angry, right? She's a small woman. 
she gets all worked up, kills her in a very rapid fashion, but then she has to re-energize that anger in that 90-minute period. When Andrew is found, he's still warm to the touch. He still has some blood pressure. He must because he's pouring blood out still when they find him in even 15 minutes after well, the Well, let's fact. explain that for a minute. So Andrew in these pictures is laying, like I said, on the couch, supine, feet on the ground, uh, and his head's propped on a pillow. Uh, it's not physically possible, phys- I'm talking about physics here, for blood to flow uphill unless right. there's pressure behind it. So you think he was still partially like just hanging on? Just hanging on, right? Like Has they to be. just said he was dead has to be um well they buried people on accident all the time back then you know they didn't really know when people were fully dead no they didn't well and the okay so let me point something else out that that bothers me um in this case all right so i'm gonna move away from you know the the whodunit conversation to the uh, medical examiner in today's life in today's world we have two types of of medical legal death investigator that that are at the pinnacle of it, if you will. You have a coroner, and a coroner is an elected official, um, usually somebody with some type of life science in their background, biology, nursing, maybe a doctor. Um, I've known coroners who have been high school biology teachers, right? Mm-hmm. They're not the most trained, um, usually quite the opposite. They're ill-equipped to be able to deal with with interpreting the nuances of death. Um, <clears throat> then you have a medical examiner. And in today's life, this is an MD who completes medical school, and then they do a postdoctoral um, fellowship, for lack of better words, in pathology, right? And these are the people that are super trained to be able to interpret all of the things inside of the human body that can help, you know, guide us towards what actual death is, um, or cause it, I'm sorry, uh, manners and mechanisms. You know, uh, a coroner can always send a body out to an, a medical examiner. I'm talking about today, okay? Mm-hmm. But let's turn the clock back to 1892, and it could be conceivably different. I'm not an authority on it, but I would wager to say that a medical examiner in 1892 does not have anywhere near the training that we would see today, more like perhaps a coroner. So they could be a family, you know, family dentist in town. I believe, so we have two different doctors that were involved in this. As you probably know, we have Dr. Bowden, and then we have the M.E., which was Dr. some other name that I don't have up on my screen right now. Um, And? I, I believe you're right that they probably were more so... Like, they were probably multi-trained. It's not like their... Family medicine or something. Yeah, it's not like their primary focus was... And even then, medical doctors weren't trained to the level that they're trained to today, right? Now, the other thing I want to point out is, that I noticed is, I believe the death occurred on August 4th. And the actual autopsy, right... occurred on um august 11th so a week later now there was a smaller autopsy that i believe happened it was at the house uh, dr william dolan and i believe that they did like take the they removed the stomachs fairly quickly like that day because there was some question of um whether or not there was some poison 
involved. I read that prussic acid somewhere. Um, Not the prussic acid. Um, yeah, potentially that too. That was like a maybe arsenic, thing. arsenic, prussic acid, um, things of that nature. So th- there's nothing that says that we can't do an autopsy a week later. I I've done. Um, Autopsy, and, and so the readers know that I have a lot of experience um, in the autopsy room, um, and I've done them on a person, and then I've had to come back a week later and and we do another autopsy on them because you know maybe we're looking for something else. Um, you know, we've done autopsies on on severely decomposed individuals. Um, you know, where where everything's pretty much mush. Can we still do an autopsy? Yes, we can. Uh, is it advisable to want to wait until decomposition uh, is underway? The answer to that would be no. Um, and they may not have known that back then. There, there was a... Um, well, they certainly know that it's more difficult. Um, so I think they did those initial... They did those initial um, ones at the house, the initial autopsies, where they did stomach contents. And then I believe they went to a holding cell what like at the cemetery or something like that for a week and yeah and, and then, those holding cells you know we didn't have air conditioning back in well they had cooling you know? rooms they had cooling like the, rooms. the cooling boards the cooling rooms how well did that work you know um some of those were basically like do you want to talk a little bit about the cooling boards and 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 what it was um it was more designed for uh in the northern states it was more designed for storage of remains uh, when the ground was frozen um, you know it, it's very difficult to chip your way through um, you know four feet of, of or six feet of ground in the middle of winter sure. and so they would just set them up on, and the idea is um, these racks actually had openings in in the bottom think of a basket weave for lack of better words um, and as most things go uh, biologically is if you present an anaerobic environment, one where air cannot get to it, uh, decomposition, mold, fungi, bacterial growth, those will all set in um, in mad force. So if it's exposed to the open air, you'll have less of that. Uh, I don't know that I agree with using um, a cooling room in the middle of August, but you know I wasn't there in 1892 to advise anybody. Well, they could put ice under it. There was like a tray under the board as well. The, the some of them they could put ice in there because I mean you don't have mass refrigeration. You didn't, but so the listeners don't get confused either. Though is that when we're looking at an autopsy, what we're looking for are is the in in the business we call we call it the physical derangement incompatible with life. That's what we're looking for. It can come in the form of. You know, something that's natural, say myocardial infarction, a stroke, um, asystole, something like that. Or it could be something that's caused, uh, strangulation, right, asphyxia, poisoning, um, and so on and so forth. But it's very obvious what killed these two people, right? right. And so I think that the medical examiners were, were substantially efficient in what they did. The question that, that, that I think that, that it's really um, pertinent to this case is how long? Now, you said, Andrews, how long had they been dead? You said Andrew's body was warm. It's August. You know, he's not going to cool real quick. Right. Um, you know, I would like to have seen was lividity fixed or not. 
was rigor mortis present or not. Um, those would be more telling to me than whether the body is warm or not. Now, I was I was listening to something that was talking about the rigor, rigor, rigor mortis, right? For those that don't know, that's when the body does the stiffening or whatever. Um, there was somebody talking about how that can happen, like, initially, like, where right after they die, they can be stuck in a position, and then it releases. It's all dependent. And then it will go back into it again. What would cause that so, for them to be like that initial rigor? What 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 that is, is the stiffening is a result of lactic acid not being used. So if anybody has ever worked out and, you know, the second day after working out, you're really stiff, your muscles hurt, it, it's, that's rigor mortis. It's the same thing. So when it happens... It's death taking over your body. It is. It's death taking over your body because of the tiny little tears in your muscle. Eww. But... It also will break down. Okay, but like, okay, so d- would it happen like if somebody is, say, let's say that I'm a muscle man and I'm <laughs> trying <laughs> shut up. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> she <laughs> is on the... <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a really big muscle man and I'm like, I'm <laughs> shut up and I'm going to like lift this big giant thing above my head, right? <laughs> Like, I'm in a position and my arms are, like, up. So you're doing a deadlift. Right? And then I die. Like, because of the lactic acid situation, would that be one of those situations where my arms are, like, stuck up in the air? So a person with... At first? No. No. No? No. no. It it takes hours to set in. No. What is this this situation that they're talking about that sometimes people will, like, like, have a moment where they're, like... Like in a weird position when they die, like their arms might be sticking out. Or <laughs> yeah, what? My ex- sorry, my yeah. experience Riddle with me it this. is that rigor will set in faster if somebody has more muscle mass. So if I'm a muscle man, it'll set in faster if somebody is in terror. Yes. Okay. However, it's going to f- come in. It's going to fix, and then it's going to dissipate. I've never heard. Doesn't mean it doesn't happen, but I've never heard of somebody stiffening, relaxing, and stiffening. The, the body's no longer alive. We're we're talking about decompositional processes here, not. So what you are saying is that if somebody can't have like the rigor at the moment, like like right after they die. No, no, you don't no. know what they're talking about. No, I don't. I, now now I'm gonna have to start researching it. <sighs> well, you better because, look at it. Because because you have to do something in the body to express right like those... if you're really scared sure if you're really like, scared ah! scared to death right yeah. but that doesn't mean you're going to be like this well, for the rest of your life he was in a really weird position for anybody that wants to imagine that i was looking my eyeball like a gecko yeah really scared okay what else you want to know okay so would she be that's what we're talking about how likely is it that this little woman who maybe she had like a mad rush of anger, right? Like at stepmom. And then she's somehow able to quick run and clean herself up and then act normal for like an hour and a half until her dad gets home and then have another rush of anger and whack him. All right. So that like, and the, 
Okay, that's like clean up again. You said that all of those were, you know, like the four and a half inch incisions where the the stepmom was smaller. It seems like there was like almost like more anger, like more like heavy, like uh, into these ones with the dad. Well, the dad's like higher up too. Like if the mom is on the ground, that's higher to get to. Like you're ice picking at her. You know, at that point, oh, like yeah, if you're yeah. like, eh, I'm going to get you on the ground. But like the dad is, he's just like, he's laying there sleeping. He's just easy pickings, right? Just like, like more anger right. came out. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to move away from medical legal death. And there's less And I'm going to move dad. back to homicide detective. Okay. All right. Now okay. I'm looking at this case. And first of all, everybody, I want to say it again. I'm only interpreting what is available to me at the moment. Which is really not a lot. Right. Because it's old-timey. In order for a crime to occur, you got to have a victim and a suspect the same place at the same time. Okay. All right. Then we're talking about means, motive, and opportunity. Lizzie had the opportunity. She was there. She had the means. She was there. My one question is going to be, what did she get out of it? Don't means an- would don't, have to also mm. don't don't answer. I'm just okay. I'm just throwing things out. <gasps> then, more likely, well, no, let me back up. So now you're telling me in a 15 minute time span, supposedly, that she went and she got herself cleaned up and somehow disposed of the weapon and disposed of the clothing. Mm-hmm. Caveat: maybe the cops just didn't look for it properly, mm-hmm. but opportunity. So, um, I'm sorry, motive. Could this be a business deal gone bad and somebody's pissed off? Would seem right now to me more likely that because you were saying the dad had all these businesses, that it's more likely to me to be looking outside of the home, right? Conventional homicide 101 says we always look at those in the inner circle, so the family first. But that should never be construed as to mean that the family is always guilty. If she's pissed off enough, a four foot eleven, hundred and two pound, I don't, I don't care what she is. Anything that's pissed off enough can can cause great harm and death. Right. Right. A woman, child. I mean, shit. We saw what a sixth grader shoot somebody, their teacher at school the other, or a sixth grader, uh, six a six year old. Six year old. Right. It's there. But what did Lizzie stand to gain from this? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. So on that note, all the money and toilets. I'm going to back out of this. In the bathtub. And I'm going to turn it back over to you. Okay. Okay. So that was that was uh, section two, uh, part two of the Lizzie Borden. Sorry, guys. I told you this was going to be intense. We're going into all the things. But in order to do it justice, um, you really kind of have to lay the groundwork. And I know a lot of people do these on a podcast and they just wrap it up in this tight, neat little bow. And I just can't do that with this one. Um, just because there are so many ins and outs of it is is a very. I'm glad great... you're not. Are you interested at this point? Like, are you following? I really along? am. Well, because I just I had researched the like I'm going to be covering the hauntings associated with it, so I know things about the house, and of course, I come across, you know, very basic details of the crimes. Mm-hmm. You know, like things being tied up in a bow, or like maybe what looks the most scandalous Hollywood style for Mm -hmm. tv shows so i think that this 
yeah, there's so much more to it than what I think the average person would know. Like, I think most people know, like, Lizzie Borden murdered her parents with an axe. I didn't even know she was acquitted. So it's really cool to dive into this... it and get, like, a real opinion from the doc on what exactly happened. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I like this because I, this is like a crime lasagna. I'm it like. Is. There's all these different layers to it, and there's like it's like a true whodunit because there's this whole cast of characters that we're about to come into, and we look at this cast of characters, and it's like it's almost like a game of Clue, right? And and it's got that old timey flair to it, and there's like okay, well this person did this, this person did that, and I'm reading the test, I'm reading the actual testimony of all of these different characters and what they say happened and so it's tricky to like layer them on each other in a way that makes sense to everybody and the story flows so i'm glad that we got that the the autopsy thing out of the way we will touch on some of it of what they said a little bit later but i do want to kind of give you guys some glimpses of of the actual crime and the gore to keep you engaged also as we're going through this (laughs) um You know, so it doesn't get too boring when you're, like, building the backdrop. But I promise you it will all tie together um, as we get into those next episodes. So thank you, everybody, for indulging me um, and letting me do this. There's actually, like, a whole-ass podcast series called the Lizzie Borden Podcast. Um, Oh, wow. Which isn't, like, the best glitz and glam, but super sad so started started uh listening to this thing because i I was like okay these people are very like they're pretty straight laced they're kind of i don't want to say boring because they have like their funny little quirks about how they talk and stuff but this author this author had started the podcast because he was so into it and he writes these like fan fiction kind of books you know for children i know it's kind of fucking weird um anyway he like I got like so so many episodes into it, like I think maybe six, seven, eight, whatever, and then the guy died. Like this author, he actually died, and and then this other woman who's an author like took it over, and she That's like talks. Cool that she did that. Yeah, she's an author as well, and like she um, talks a lot to to like people that do weird like broadway shows on lizzie borden and then uh-huh also um the people from the fall river historical society okay. and they've released like people are coming out of the woodwork um you know 100 over 125 years later people are coming out of the woodwork and saying that their family has has these old this old information or old letters or old um pictures or things or they knew lizzie or they were protecting her you know whatever so it's really cool to like she had friends she had a lot of friends after the fact yeah Yeah. she's a very interesting person um and i i will get into all that as we get further in but yes thank you everybody for listening and for buckling up for this one cool well i'm excited to get more into it so, yeah, we'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Sweet. Goodbye. All right. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.